to kick off the show today, you get a little, oh man. It's not like we knew him, but it's like we knew him. Luke Perry has passed away. News last week that the former star of Beverly Hills 90210 and now a current star, we call him a star, he's a pretty good recurring character on Riverdale, had had a stroke. And now it has just been announced that Luke Perry has passed away. So, oh man, one of those things. He just, he seemed like one of the good guys, right? He had a cameo on Simpsons. Part of a show that was going to be relaunched. I don't know what this does to that, but there was a lot of talk they were going to bring back Beverly Hills 90210. So, some entertainment news off the start of the show. We have a lot to get to on the show today. Some of it does actually involve a different form of entertainment. In just about 10 minutes from now, we are going to head off to a school here in London, and we have to be quiet right now, because they're just finding out about this. But something big is happening at that school in London. London. They're going to be very happy about it. And in fact, it helps out in a way that I guess has been taken over almost by the private sector after it was a victim of slashing and cutting by governments long, long ago. We're talking 20 years back. So in 10 minutes from now, we'll head to that school and we'll talk about what has taken place. Shh, we have to be quiet just for a little bit because this is just happening now. And I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. But if you know somebody who's in a school in London... Maybe it's their school. Don't know. It's nothing bad. It's very, very good. We are also going to talk about streetlights in London. Have you seen or heard the story about streetlights in London? If you were to answer this question, how many of London's streets do not have a streetlight? What would you say? I don't know. One? Two? Maybe? Try about 20%. A little higher than that. So there is a lot of talk, and I want to turn this into a bit of a conversation because on the Craig Needle Show earlier today, Ward 2 Counselor Sean Lewis was in, and he was talking about the Back to the River project, the money that would be spent, and whether or not it's a good time to do that. And you can always look and say, well, beautification, we need beautification, that would be great. What a great word that is, and not all of the money is coming from the city. Yeah, but $5 million is coming from the city. Are there other things to look after? Are there other things that we could look out for? It's kind of like when you hear Canada is going to do something involving the moon. Wait a minute, pull the reins on that for a second. You, federal government have some issues going right now, but you also have a pipeline that you have helped us to own to the tune of, what, $4.5 billion. Shouldn't we take care of things on the ground before we worry about doing things on the moon? It's the same kind of thing. Do we look around and say, you know, we could beautify something, and we could try to bring people for a walk along the Thames, which, again... I'm I'm with Sean Lewis on this. The Thames is not all that pretty. You have to have certain spots. You know where the Thames is really, really pretty? If you walk in behind old Wonderland Gardens, those trails back there, that is a phenomenal place to look at the Thames River. Even up over Wonderland, when you're kind of going over the bridge right before you come up to Riverside, 
that. That's a good spot. You look at the Thames there and you think, wow, that's pretty picturesque. That's pretty beautiful. I like that. We don't necessarily need to bring people right close to it because it isn't all that pretty. And you know what? I was born in this city. I love this city. But we have to face facts. The Thames River is not a beautiful river. And if we can have people looking at it from afar instead of a close, I think we're better off. So where should the money go? Should it go to streetlights or should it go to beautification, practicality versus aesthetics? We'll talk about that in about a half hour from now. We are also going to be joined, and I can't wait for this, we are going to interview a dog on the show. A dog. And it is a dog that actually is hearing impaired. We're actually going to be talking with Melissa Millett. If you were listening on Friday, we took you back to an interview with Melissa. She actually trained the cats who are in the Pet Cemetery movie. And training cats, not easy. Training a dog that is hearing impaired, well, how does that work? How do you make that happen? Melissa is amazing, and she's going to join us in studio with Jelly Bean in an hour from now. And that will lead us into another conversation, and you would have heard Jacqueline LaBelle talk about this if you heard our 1 o'clock news on 980 CFPL. And that was the fact that the OSPCA has announced that they will no longer be enforcing Animal cruelty laws. Huh? What do you mean you're no longer enforcing animal cruelty laws? You're the OSPCA. You're all about animal cruelty laws, aren't you? Well, we'll speak with their general counsel, and we'll find out exactly what is happening here, because another word has crept into this conversation, and that word is contract. So, what's happening here? That's what I want to know. The OSPCA comes out and announces, we are no longer enforcing animal cruelty laws as of this date. And then the word contract is in there, not renewing our contract. So is there more to this? We'll try and find that out. Remember, if you look under the Criminal Code of Canada, animals do have rights in this country. And it might be strange to think, well, animals don't have real rights. Well, no, they do. And if you look at the Criminal Code, anyone who commits an offense that willfully causes or willfully permits unnecessary pain, suffering, or injury to an animal or a bird is in violation of the criminal code. If you encourage, aid, or assist in the fighting or baiting of animals or birds, you are in violation of the criminal code. If you promote, arrange, conduct, assist in, receive money, or take part in a competition, exhibition, pastime, practice, display, or event that leads to the harming of an animal or bird, or if you're the owner or occupier in charge of a premises where they are permitting such thing, you are also in violation of the criminal code. So it is pretty extensive. So what's happening here within Ontario? Because that's Canada. That's the federal legislation. And things can vary province to province. So we'll get to the bottom of that. And that's coming up a little later on on the show. It is Monday. And can we start off a Monday on London Live without hearing from Marilyn? I don't think so. And I don't think we should. I don't want to live on a Monday like that. Marilyn joins us now. Marilyn, how are you? I'm laughing. I think you're so funny. How was your weekend? It was pretty good. I went to church and I went out and did some shopping and was quite happy with what I got. Because I've been looking for purple scarves to go with a sweater that my daughter gave me for Christmas. And I got one. Beautiful. Marilyn, what brings you to London Live today? Pardon, dear? What brings you to London Live today? Oh, 
well, I thought I'd, uh, no, well, I always listen to you, and I even listen to the hockey games just to hear your voice. <laughs> you know, you've got a good voice, my dear, and I think you should take a few singing lessons because you've got a good tenor voice. Oh, I'm tone deaf. You don't want to hear me sing. Oh, oh no, I've tried. No, you ask, no, no, no. you ask people. It's not pretty. Well, you've got a really Oof. good voice, and the birds Oof. even like you because I put the hockey game on for them. <laughs> Marilyn, you were talking streetlights. Do you have a streetlight near you? Oh, yes, yes. We're well lit up around here, and we were always well lit up on Quebec Street, where I grew up, until the war came. And then there were, uh, you know, it was lights out because they were afraid of enemy planes. Uh, do you understand that, dear? Yeah, I, I didn't know that was a thing oh, yes. and then in and around here. Neon, neon lights up. Uptown, uh, you know, in the stores, they advertising what store Zellers and mm-hmm. and uh, Smallman and Ingrams and also uh, Smallman and Ingrams was there before Simpsons. So anyway, none of those lights were on. And when I was seven years old, and used to go up to the cathedral to choir practice. Why, I, my mother never worried about it. I just go across and catch the bus and go and get off at Clarence or Richmond, walk up to the cathedral, and it was all pretty well pitch. And you know, my mother never worried back. But wouldn't you? Days. Wouldn't you rather have a, a city that is lit up if we can have that? Well, if it's not that terribly, terribly expensive, yes. Okay. Well, we're going to get into the price of it in well, about twenty-five about minutes. Ri- can I talk about the river? Yes. All right, I think they should forget spending any money on that filthy river. Who would ever swim in that river, let alone eat a fish out of it? And I'm going to tell you something right now. That river is filled with rats as well as as fish. Because my ex-son-in-law was riding his bike along the banks of the river, and he said that there was a pile of rocks uh, just beside the river, you know, beside the water, and he said he never saw so many rats in his life. Wow. Okay, well, I think we need more investigation into this. Marilyn, you've given us a great tip and some great stories. Thanks for the call. Have a great Monday. Bye-bye. Say hi to the birds. Okay, well, if, if that is part of this, then yeah, let's face it. Beautification is one thing. Having another little walkway is another thing. Having an amphitheater, okay, fine, great, or whatever. Open air auditorium, whatever we're planning. That's, that's all fine. But if, in fact, we are dealing not just with the brownish water and the fact that, no, you're never going to swim in the Thames. It's not that kind of water, and it's not very deep. You know, it's, let's face it. We've had E. coli issues. We've had a lot of issues. And now if you bring in rats, no, 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 no. Practicality or aesthetics. That's what we'll discuss in about 20 minutes from now. We'll get some help. From Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire as well. We, again, if, if you missed it, Luke Perry has passed away. There's a couple of other entertainment notes, and one of them leading into the story that we're going to tell in about two minutes from now as we head off, well, it's about four minutes from now, as we head off to a school here in London. I don't know if you saw the twin bill that's being put together for this summer. Have you, have you seen this? Guess who's going to be touring together? We're going to have, and I'll give you the answer, we're going to have two bands known for their volatility. Uh, 
Oasis because they're not together, but Noel Gallagher, isn't he the feisty one from Oasis? So picture that, the feistiness of Noel Gallagher with these guys. Noel Gallagher and Smashing Pumpkins, who are also known for their volatility. Uh, that's coming. There will be one date in Toronto. I think it's August the 13th. The rest is in the U.S. In a minute, we're going to talk about a different musician, one who is far less volatile. Looking for a nice girl to fall for you for a lifetime. That is Bulow, and Bulow was in London today. Still is, as a matter of fact, at the school we're going to tell you about next. We'll talk about what's going on, and it has a tie and a thank you to the Junos. This is London Live, underway on a Monday. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We're about to head to a school in London, find out what has just happened there minutes ago. Got a tweet that says, Riverbanks of rocks, sand and brush, not concrete banks like San Antonio's canal, are the hallmarks of a healthy river. Humans have a fussy desire to tart up nature, making it less livable for aquatic and terrestrial wildlife. So, if you add in that element, and then you say, hey, we could take some money... And instead of spending it on something like, I guess, sprucing up an area around the Thames, trying to get people to go to the forks of the Thames, I mean, it's tough to get there. If you make something difficult for someone, they will not do it. That's the world we live in right now. Make it hard, it's not going to happen. So we'll talk about that, or do we actually look at an issue like lighting the city? 20%? Of streets, roads in the city, dark. No streetlights. And we'll get into more details on that in a minute. Things were absolutely lit up at St. Paul Catholic Elementary School this afternoon. In fact, they're still lit up now. Things are still happening. Bulow is there. And they are getting a big time, in a way, award. Because they are getting something that is going to help them out for years to come. Courtesy of Music Counts. And Music Counts has been helped out by the Junos. So let's kind of connect all of the dots here. St. Paul Catholic Elementary School in London, Music Cares, and the Junos. Joining us right now is the Executive Director of Music Counts, Christy Fletcher. Christy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? Well, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm wishing I was where you are right now because it sounds like you guys are having a great old time. You... Popped in, basically. I don't know whether it was a pop or, or whether you walk in, but there you are at St. Paul's Catholic Elementary School. And what are you doing? Yes, we are at St. Paul Catholic Elementary School today to uh, surprise the students with a few things. Um, the first big surprise was that their school is receiving $15,000 worth of musical instruments through our Music Counts Band Aid program. So we're just thrilled to be here and uh, thrilled to be able to present the school with these instruments. And then, of course, the second surprise was a performance by Juno-nominated uh, artist Bulo. So um, that was also super exciting for the kids and and uh, for everyone in the school today. But lastly, um, 
We are also announcing that the London Juno Host Committee um, and the City of London uh, were instrumental in raising $130,000 for Music Counts, and that number is growing through a dollar-per-ticket campaign that they've been running since the Juno Awards were announced. So those dollars have gone a long way to supporting schools uh, right across Canada with musical instruments and obviously a number of schools right here in the London area. So um, we're thrilled to be here. We have so much great news to share, and and this is the perfect school to be able to do it in. So it's St. Paul Catholic Elementary School today, but it could still be other schools or it has been other schools that you've been doing similar things at? Well, we've actually, Music Counts has been awarding instruments to schools for over 20 years. So uh, we've been in the London area prior. I'm sure we will be again uh, in the future. But for this year and particularly leading up to Juno Week, we were really thrilled to be here today to make our big announcement. And um, the announcement, uh, obviously, of giving St. Paul uh, Catholic Elementary School their, their instruments and the support from the Juno Host Committee in London, and also that we're uh, distributing a million dollars worth of instruments overall this year to 96 schools across the country. Um, so uh, St. Paul is, is one of those 96, um, but to be able to be here today to, um, to make that announcement and make these kids really happy uh, was uh, pretty special. Christy Fletcher with us, Executive Director of Music Counts. As they give out instruments, they had a performance from Bulow not too long ago, and now they continue to do some great work across this country. We heard, you know, going back years and years and years ago when cuts started coming, that instruments and music programs were one of the first things to kind of feel the pressure or certainly even feel the chopping block. When you look at Music Counts and and how it has developed, was it to address things like that? Yeah, that's exactly why it was developed. Um, as I said, we've been around for just over 20 years now, and um, budget cuts are, are nothing new. You know, obviously, I don't envy the job that uh, school boards need to do and governments need to do to balance their budgets. Um, so we like to say in a perfect world, we wouldn't exist, but, uh, but we are there to help fill in the gaps. So um, it's a problem that seems to be growing. Um, unfortunately, we were, we were able to help about one out of every five schools that apply right now. We would like to be able to close that gap a little bit if possible, um, but we'll continue to do the work that we do as long as it's needed. And um, if, we can, if we can help um, ensure that music education survives and flourishes, well, then, you know, then we're doing our job. What types of instruments do you wind up bringing to schools? You know, we, it, it is a wide-ranging array of instruments. Um, we do musical instruments and equipment. You know, obviously there's a lot of schools now that are engaging more in using technology and making music, you know, garage bands. Um, so we support, you know, we will support that. We, we give a lot of um, younger kids and younger grades ORF instruments. Um, or it can just be, you know, your, your typical uh, band, band instrument. So we run the gamut. Um, it's really what the school needs and what that particular teacher um, is able, whatever they're teaching their, their classes at that uh, particular time. So um, we feel any music is positive music and we're willing to support. Christy, thanks so much for stopping here in London. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on London Live. Enjoy the rest of the day. 
Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. You are very welcome. Christy Fletcher, Executive Director of Music Counts. So already one of the spinoffs of the Junos because they have had a program going by way of buying tickets that some of the proceeds have been helping out Music Counts. And now St. Paul Catholic Elementary School finds some brand new stuff to go forward with. You know, it's very easy to say, okay, well, yeah, let's let's take education. We've got to cut here. We've got to take this out. We got to we can't have this. So take away all of the money that you have for basketballs and volleyballs and trombones and trumpets and clarinets, and we'll just send the kids to school because that'll still work. And that's kind of what happened. But we've seen some creative spending at times. Anyone with kids in school knows that you get that list at the beginning of the year, and it says, here's what I need you to bring to class. Kleenex box, paper towels, and it's a big, long white paper, lined paper. That's just the reality of life right now, and that goes back to some cuts. You take away creativity. You take away something that kids look forward to, and all of a sudden, you are doing a disservice to those kids. And that's, I think, what is being realized now. And with companies like this having to step in, it's, it's almost unfortunate, but that's the reality. So they have stepped in. We are finding ways to get instruments back into schools or schools find ways to get their own instruments. And you keep programs like that going because you need that. The, you know, we need somebody to do a bigger study around about the time governments were hacking and slashing at things to see what those creative juices mean to see what kind of that that other avenue means to be able to learn in different ways. I don't think we had enough of that. Whoever knew that didn't stand up and use a loud enough voice. I don't know if it would have worked, but thank you to Music Counts for doing what they do. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. In an hour from now, we'll have a really interesting conversation because we're going to be talking about the OSPCA coming out to tell everybody what it told the province today. You know what it told the province? It's not going to sign a new contract after the current one expires at the end of March. And it's not going to investigate and enforce animal cruelty laws anymore. What does that mean? Isn't that kind of its job? Well, there's got to be something to this. We're going to try and dig into what's behind this. Because right now it's been a lot of statement thing, been a lot of headline stuff. So we'll try and dig a little deeper into that in an hour from now. Something you may see more and more, I don't know about this. When you look at what viral videos have encouraged people to do over the years, there have been a lot of people who wind up in the emergency room A lot of people who may not be having children as easily as they once would have. You know, railings, they get in the way. You got to be careful you don't slip on either side of the railing, especially if you're a guy. Well, we've had some nasty things. The Tide Pod Challenge, don't do that. In fact, YouTube has kind of tried to do away with a lot of the videos that would get posted on YouTube that would encourage people to do dangerous stuff. They've only just begun clear that stuff out now. I don't I don't know why it's taken so long. Maybe they added up, well, how many times have we been sued in the last while? I don't know if that's what it is, but that would make some sense. You had the bird box challenge. 
where people would blindfold themselves and then try and do things blindfolded, but they'd film themselves doing it. Going back to that movie, that movie. Uh, Now we've got a new challenge, and I want you to just think about this. I'll tell you what it is. I want you to think about it. It's called the Cheese Challenge, and you need a young person to do it. And by young person, I mean somebody typically sitting in a high chair. And what is done is someone gets a cheese slice. Ugh, I hate the smell of cheese slices. You actually like that smell? I can't do cheese whiz, can't do cheese slices. But you take off the wrapper of the cheese slice, and you know how it's kind of sticky? I don't think it should be, but it is. You take that cheese slice and you walk over to, say, a toddler who's sitting at a high chair, and you flip the cheese and it goes whoop, right onto their face. And you film yourself doing this, of course, or you get someone to film you doing it, and it kind of sticks there on the kid's face. They have no idea what's going on. All of a sudden, you know, the lights went out because they got cheese over their eyes. And everybody goes, ah, ha, ha. Now, I have to admit, in, in watching the video and having raised two children beyond the stage of high chair, um, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's actually really funny to watch the cheese land on the faces of the kids. And the kids are not harmed. One of the kids laughs. Another one of the kids takes the cheese off and then starts eating the cheese. So it's all done in good fun. But how do you feel about the cheese challenge? Would you want to be one of those kids one day? I guess I wouldn't care. Hey, look, you were the cheese challenge kid. Yeah, that was awesome, wasn't it? I was the one who ate the cheese. Wasn't that funny? Here. Here, take some cheese, throw it in my face now. I'll knock it down, I'll I'll eat it again. You know, it's not doing any harm, but it's kind of degrading to the little kids. Right, wrong? Email me, mike at 980cfpl.ca. Dark streets in the city of London. Not well-lit streets in the city of London. Do we have them? No. I don't know. It's a very well-lit city. It's, it's, It's great. It's a lot of light. You know, a lot of shade from all the trees. No, no, this is at night. We're talking about streetlights. Are we well lit enough in London? We're going to discuss that next, and then maybe look at whether we're putting our money in the right places after that. Fun versus function. Aesthetics versus performance. We'll talk about both next on London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It isn't easy to read through an entire staff report from the City of London. Here, can you hear this? Uh, that didn't that didn't do it justice. It's thicker than that. It's a staff report that is dealing with light in the city. It deals with street lights and the fact that in London, Ontario, we have a total of twenty two percent of streets and roads that do not have street lights. And when we look at major roads, according to this staff report, 44% of major roads do not have light. So, what? This can't be a thing. Where? Where is this stuff? Joining us right now is Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire to talk not the lighting of the lights, but just the lighting of London. Councillor Squire, these numbers, they're having me scratch my heads. Every, every my head, I guess I only have one. Yeah, uh, nice nice intro there, Mike. You put me on the spot here. With, uh... <laughs> the spotlight? Ah, uh, very good. Very good. It's interesting, isn't it, that one of the things, I mean, just as background, one of the things is that, that people um, in any city 
are always looking for services and what services are included in their taxes, what do they pay for. And this is a really good example of something that I don't think people are really aware that that if you want lighting in your neighborhood, because I've been through this before, um, you will get a nice notice back from the from the city saying, that's great, but you'll pay for it. And you have to pass the hat in your neighborhood and pay for it. And I can tell you that most people at that point say, you got to be kidding me. And then they, they don't want to pay out of their own pocket. So staff is trying to move the ball towards uh, cost sharing on that. And that's going to be a really interesting discussion. See, I, I also like the angle on this it it's sometimes thought that hey if you want to get a stop sign in your neighborhood or if you would like a street light on your street best thing to do is move next to a city councilor because then they may have some sway it doesn't work like that and in fact no it doesn't it doesn't and that's that's a great point you know people think that that you can phone your counselor and just say i would like a stop sign i would like a speed bump and just imagine if that was the process imagine imagine what the city what city council meetings would be like you'd have every counselor sort of standing up and saying, I want to, I want uh, you know, speed bumps on this street. I want a stop sign here. And then you'd have other counselors saying, no, mine's more important. So we, we try to get away with that, away from that with having a system in place where you get that stuff. But this one's pretty unique, the street lighting one, because we're asking people to pay for it. And in paying for it, the kind of the, the price tag that has been suggested is about $7,200 that would be yep. paid by how many different people? Would it be up to four that's right these things are really expensive and any infrastructure is expensive so what you have to remember with the city of london right now we have something called an infrastructure gap and that means if we want to start replacing all of the infrastructure that's getting old in the city of london we have a gap between what we have in pocket and what those needs are so we're always adding to that and putting money into into different capital accounts to pay for this stuff so when we get to budget and what's going to happen in this case is we're going to say okay staff go away present us with the different options for doing these lights. One, you know, I assume will be city pays the whole price and we'll see what it costs. And then really people have to make the choice. Okay. What do you want? Do you want lights on every street or do you want us to do something else? Because budget is, is a matter of choices. You know, there's only so much money in the, in the pot and there's only so much money generated for taxes. And and we have to unfortunately decide what we're going to do with that money. We're talking with Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire about the fact that it does cost homeowners if they want a street light, and if you're going to put one kind of in a, a section where it would affect four houses, two on one side, two on another, it's going to cost each homeowner roughly $1,800 to do it should that money come out of tax money. How exactly do you kind of put the the dividing lines down as to what is covered by tax money and what isn't. You would think by now we'd have all this in, in big block letters. Yeah, so I think that the issue becomes there's some things that we know for sure we're going to be paying out of tax dollars, and that's the roads and uh, and sidewalks and, and all of those things that people basically expect out of municipalities. The tough stuff comes, and this may be one of those items that people expect, although some people, I can tell you, in some neighborhoods don't want lights. They like their neighborhood at night to be quiet, without lights. They don't want lights shining in their houses. And I have some neighborhoods like that. So that's, that's a point, too. But, you know, at the end of the day, what, are we, what do people expect to pay for, for their tax money? For instance, tonight we're going to be talking about back to the river. And a lot of people are saying to me, this is a wonderful idea. Let's do it. And I guess my answer to them always is, okay, that's great. If, if you want it, it's going to cost, let's say it's going to cost 14 or $15 million dollars. Is that where you want your tax dollars to go? I mean, is that 
is that a higher priority item for you than streetlights? So I have to do my best job of being out there in the community and saying, look, what do you want? Do you want a tax increase? Do you want a tax cut? Do you want more services? Do you want less services? And this goes on every day and every minute at City Hall. We're talking about what are we going to do and how are we going to pay for it? Unfortunately, some people assume that we can do everything with the dollars they send them. In other words, there's there's no limit to what you can do with tax dollars. And that's just not, you know, and I know, Mike, that's just not accurate. There's there's only so much you can do with the money you're given. And it's a, it's a question of finding out what people's priorities are. And are streetlights going to be one of those priorities? It'll be a really interesting debate. Definitely. Councillor Squire, thank you for laying this out as beautifully as you have. Not a problem. And I want the nights going all the way because I already got my playoff tickets. Nice. Well done. You're not going to be disappointed. This is going to be fun. They won three of three on the weekend. Division winners for the first time since 2013. I love the Knights. They are the best. And I've got all my tickets. So I'm going to be out there. I will be waving the flag. Thanks, Phil. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Care. That is Phil Squire, Ward 6 Counselor. Okay, we'll talk some nights later on. But right now, let's look at fun versus function. Let's look at practicality versus aesthetics. Counselor Squire laid it out brilliantly. Where do you want your tax dollars spent? Should homeowners have to foot the bill and the way that the staff report outlines You've got 10 years to pay $7,200 among four households. So it's costing you $1,800 over 10 years, whatever. Should it cost you $1,800 at all if you wanted a streetlight? Or should we be lighting up the entire city of London? Let's just, here, let's let's do some quick math. Phone lines are open if you want to weigh in on this. 519-643-2222. That's 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. But before we go to break, let me just do some quick math. We've got $5 million that we would use to beautify down by the forks of the Thames. And if we took... $7,200 out of that for streetlights. We could buy 694 streetlights for that 500 or for that $5 million. You know, what would you rather do? Sometimes it's fun to take a vacation, but if your roof has caved in, it's important to fix the roof first. 519 643 2222. Your calls and your reaction when we return on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Spending money is hard, except at where the Atlanta Falcons play. I don't know if you've heard, they've taken away cash from inside their building, so you just use credit or mobile pay, and you just, boop, you don't even notice it then. So spending money that way is easy. But spending money is actually hard. Do you take the trip? Do you get away? Do you give yourself a perk? Life is short. We're not here for all that long. Or do you pave the driveway or replace the shingles or paint the kitchen or all those things that need to be done. Hard to know how to allocate things. The city of London is looking at that right now. How do you allocate dollars? Staff report says probably need some more streetlights. And by the way, homeowners have to foot the bill. Or 
We could beautify the forks of the Thames. Beautify. And look at what we heard earlier this hour from Marilyn. Marilyn says her son took a walk. There was a pile of rocks right along the Thames. Big old group of rats. Pack of rats, I guess. Aren't they? Isn't it a pack of rats? Should be. 519-643-2222. John, which way do we go? Well, you know what? Um, I grew up in Oak Ridge Acres, and I remember back in the early 70s, um, they came through and they put in um, septic sewers, like because uh, everyone was on uh, you know septic tanks before that. So they put in the, the actual uh, sewers that take it down to I guess Greenway. And they may not have given you the choice, right? They just said they were doing this. Right? They were doing that. Now they did at the time give us the choice or give my parents the choice and the neighbors the choice of street lights. So this comes into play with what we're talking about now. Now remember my. Uh, parents along with other neighbors and that there was sort of a bit of uh uh we knew we needed the sewers so your mill rate was going to go up for that neighborhood so indeed you were paying it over time um the street lights again your mill rate went up some people were for it some were against it but turned out more were for it so we ended up our parents ended up paying for those street lights over time uh because their mill rate went up on their property taxes then in the 80s they came through back until that time. We had tar and gravel streets. Every couple of years, the tar truck came, the gravel truck came. Your mother got upset when you wore your shoes into the house because there was tar and gravel on the bottom of your shoes, and the carpets got covered in tar. So that was a, a big fiasco. But they came through and put, uh, you know, on some streets, uh, sidewalks, but curbs and paved, paved streets back in the 80s. Mill rate went up in those neighborhoods. Again, uh, people paid for them. So this is nothing really new for people to in this case, pay for streetlights. That's been going on for a long time. The other thing that came up when they put those sewers in, they gave uh, the people in those neighborhoods, once those uh, septic uh, sewers were put in, you had, I believe it was five years at your your uh, cost, each homeowner's cost, to get connected to those sewers and get rid of the septic tank that was uh, on your property. Right. And uh, so, again, this isn't new. Um, the, the, the places where they put in the streetlights, whether it's sewers, streetlights, what have you, they just upped the mill rate, and over time, those neighborhoods paid for those services that they got. John, thanks for the call on that. Have a great day. Take care. 519-643-2222. And John is right. If, if you are seeing cities expand, they will do this, that outer edge. They will still come by, and maybe that's what was happening with John and his family at the time, that... They'll expand and say, yeah, we're going off the septic system. You are going to connect to our system, and you've got X amount of time to do it. In this case, you want a streetlight, and it's $7,200 split by four households. you got 10 years to pay that off. 519-643-2222. Fun or function? What's more important, aesthetics or practicality? Bob, what do you think? Yeah, Mike, uh, hey, good call on the London Knights game last night. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, in the town I live in, they just put new street lights in. Uh, uh, well, I think I'm going on three years now. And it's nice, you know, they're nice and they're brighter and they're the LED lights, so they don't take up as much power and all that stuff. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, was incorporated into my tax uh, that I pay every year. You know, every resident pays a little bit of that, and that's fine. But honestly, I'd rather have a nice river running through my property or on the outskirts so I could enjoy that rather than streetlights. Uh, you know, that's my opinion anyways. I mean, I'd rather them fix that somewhere along that river so you can uh, go down and enjoy it, take a walk. Um, I'm like, I'm not sure. <clears throat> is it still damp so the water flow is low, right? That's The dam is still broken. Okay. So 
that allows the water in my mind to stay low, yeah. Yeah. Well, it'd be nice if they just took that out and let that river go back to its natural state. You know, uh, of course, as long as it's not going to, you know, start flooding out some areas uh, every now and then, but something to look into. I'd rather have that river being like its natural state where you could enjoy that, and that would bring people to the city if you set it up properly. You know, i got to tell you, Mike, every time something comes up in the city, whether it be the ring road or the, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's always the big three-year debate. And you know what? Since I moved to this area about 20 years ago, nothing ever gets done. Yeah, Bob, you know what? You're not the only one who's brought that up. we got to run for news. Right. Hang on, I want to put you on hold. Don't go anywhere. Uh, Al has sent an email saying a bridge for the beautification of Down by the Thames. What a waste of money. Let's just park this beside the lovely dam. Waste of money. Spend it on some social assistance, maybe some affordable housing. How about we stop dumping raw sewage into the Thames? Maybe the rats will leave. What a novel idea. I absolutely love it. Let's take a break for news. Jacqueline LaBelle is next. And then we are going to get to meet Jellybean and one of the best animal trainers anywhere. Melissa Millett is going to be in studio. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Wow, you're going to have to check out the 980 CFPL Instagram. If you don't follow us on Instagram, you can. Very easy. Just go on your Instagram. Look up 980 CFPL. Give us a follow. Because we are going to have a video of our next two guests, as a matter of fact. We are going to be talking not so much with one of the guests because, uh, well, that guest is Jellybean, who is a dog. But Melissa Millett is one of the most amazing animal trainers anywhere, is part of Ultimates. You may have seen Ultimates perform and has been training Jellybean, who is now in a major Facebook competition and not only that has made it all the way to the semifinals melissa of what it's called the world's most amazing dog so it's it's the best dogs in the world thousands and thousands of entries so i'm super excited that he's made top 12 so far a couple more weeks of semifinals or of quarterfinals until semifinals so he's still in the running all right and where does jellybean hail from originally London, Ontario. No way. Oh, originally he's okay. So he lived, and I adopted him. Okay. We live in London, but actually he hails from California. Oh wow! So yeah, I adopted him from Deaf Dog Rescue of America in California. But Jellybean is is a kind of a, a bred Londoner. Maybe not he's born a Londoner. Londoner, but Jellybean's a Londoner. He's a Londoner. He's a hometown Londoner. So we have an opportunity to help out Jellybean because Jellybean will be looking for votes. Yeah. So how it works is. Um, in the quarterfinals, the judges decided that he was the dog that they pushed through to the semifinals, which was super exciting because they they choose one and the other needs votes. So ah. we need the support of London and our hometown in the terms of supportive comments, and definitely we need votes. Like this is like the doggy Olympics, right? Exactly. You have to support Canada. Exactly. All right. Well, that that makes perfect sense. We're going to talk about what it has taken because you may have heard Melissa say that she adopted Jellybean from a deaf dog organization in California. Jellybean's hearing impaired. Yeah, Jellybean is totally deaf. So this is the thing about these dogs is that people think they can't be trained. They think they have poor temperaments. 
So the exposure that Jellybean gets from his talent is literally going to save lives. People are going to understand that deaf dogs make wonderful pets. And we're hoping worldwide that more deaf dogs find homes and that he inspires others to adopt them as an ambassador for deaf rescue dogs. Well, I can't even describe some of the tricks that Jellybean is performing and is able to perform. We do have a video again. It'll be up on our Instagram in just a little while. We'll put it on our Facebook page. We've got to put it on our Facebook page as well. But we'll put that up as well. And to think that you're dealing with a dog that cannot hear commands. Melissa, you train animals. How important is the hearing of commands when you're training an animal? Well, the thing is, is that some of his tricks, now he does a sit pretty on my back <laughs> and I'm cueing him where he's not seeing my face. That's extremely difficult. Um, but I mean, with the challenges, uh, they're still highly trainable, but certainly there's a lot of challenges that come with being deaf. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So how do you initiate training then? Focus is the most important thing. He has to be looking at me at all times. And if he looks away, you can't get him back. So his focus has to be incredible. So that's your number one. I'm taking it your patience has to be beyond incredible to make something like this happen. It definitely does. And you know what's interesting about Jellybean is he's also an accomplished actor. He's done two movies. He did a Super Bowl teaser for the Avocados from Mexico Super Bowl commercial. So, I mean, he's really not letting anything stop him. And we were on set and we had to teach him to look at an actress and then call him away. So we were hammering on the ground and banging and trying to get his attention um, but really he's, he's got so many things going for him for a dog that has, you know, uh, disability. He's really letting nothing stop him. And he's an incredible, incredible dog. And you were able to have a dog be on set, be in a commercial when could the production company not have said, you know what, we're, we're going to go with a hearing dog because it would be, you know, easier for them. Mm -hmm. They didn't. They didn't. Not only did they not, they flew us out to Winnipeg because of the difficulty of this, uh, the behaviors in this feature. He was the dog that could pull it off. And we worked with an animal trainer because um, there was an animal trainer in Winnipeg, local, because of union. And she said that he was one of the best she's worked with, that, you know, that deaf has certainly not held him back in any way, shape, or form, and nor has it affected his temperament. Wow. Because you think, people think, is he afraid of things because he can't hear? He's just he, all around. He's a happy guy. And if he is going to be an actor, you would think that action movies with explosions and things that are loud that would bother other dogs, he may be... He may be that dog, perfect for that. Literally, it can become an asset. But also, on top of it, you know, people overlook these dogs, right? So when you're looking at a deaf dog, you can really find a hidden gem because the deaf doesn't stop them from being wonderful pets. So there's beautiful, awesome hidden gems that you can find in deaf dogs. Melissa Millet in studio with us, and we are talking about Jellybean, a dog that Melissa adopted from an organization in California, and Jellybean is is completely deaf, and yet performs all kinds of amazing tricks to the point that Jellybean is now in Facebook's World's Most Amazing Dog Competition all the way into the semifinals. Do we just look that up on Facebook and cast votes that way? 
Yes. So what you're going to do is you're going to look on World's Most Amazing Dog. It's on Facebook Watch. It's hosted by George Lopez and Lisa Vanderpump and Preacher Lawson from America's (laughs) Got Talent. And when he comes on in the semifinals, you can vote for him. But also if you leave supportive comments, let people know, let them know that Jelly Bean, you know, you're there to support him, that he has a following. And that's, you know, where we're at with right now. We're just waiting and practicing and working on our next secret trick to up our game. Nice. Mm-hmm. Do you have to add in things as you go along in the competition? Have you been doing that? Yes. So you think, okay, I used everything I had <laughs> to get this far. Now I have to come up with something new. And I have. And, of course, I can't tell you what it is. Everybody will have to watch to find out. But uh, when he pulled it off, I was really, really excited. Just high on excitement all night. And this is a dog that has already, and I'll give away some of the video that we'll have, done the can-can. This is a dog that can hop on both back legs. I mean, how do you even teach, forget about the fact that Jelly Bean is hearing impaired. How do you even teach a dog to do these things? It it took 20 years to learn how to train dogs. And then you have to find the right partner. And this dog is an all-around athlete, so we we teach with progressive steps, and we work at it every day in little mini sessions. He's trained completely with positive reinforcement, so he works for food, and he has a good time, and uh, it's just a lot of fun for all of us. And that's another thing. People will always think about training their dogs, and we'll look at what to do, and you'll have dog behaviorists who say, treats are flying left and right all over the place. You're training with food. Yeah, that's right. So that way he gets, quote unquote, paid for his work. But at the same point, um, it's also a gold star when he gets a treat. He knows that he's done the correct behavior. So there's so many bonuses to food. I actually have a dog training school here in London at it called In Dogs We Trust, and I give away my secrets. Huh? I give away my secrets for tricks classes, but I also I'm creating an army of actors to have my, you know, a series of dogs for people to choose from for my movie Hollywood classes. That's amazing. Yeah. We're talking with Melissa Millett from Ultimates. And if somebody was interested in taking their pet to that school, if they think they've got a, a star in the making, how do they find you that way? You could find us online at indogswetrust.ca. And then maybe, you know, we'll have competition for the next World's Most Amazing Dog <laughs> contest. What kind of dog is Jelly Bean? Jelly Bean is an Australian cattle dog. Okay. So, I mean, to me, the jelly bean is brown, has pointy ears. Yes. Uh, He looks like a dingo. A dingo. Okay. He looks like a dingo. That's the best way to describe it. He looks like a dingo. But the trick's amazing. How long would it take to teach a dog to jump three or four times on their hind legs? That's an extremely difficult trick that not all dogs can do because you have to have that hind leg strength. And, and, you know, I have Boston Terriers are very top heavy and they have little tiny waist. They couldn't pull that off. (laughs) Um, But actually, he starts hopping at about 15 feet away. And that can take, you know, a year, a year and a half to, to work on these things. And a lot of his tricks, they do take one to two years. I think it's also good to know that Jelly Bean just turned three. So I took an, a, you know, a compilation of videos from when he was one to two years old. And with that, we entered the contest. And so not only is he deaf, he's still a young dog. And yeah. to be in a few movies and to, to uh, be so far in this contest so young, I think that's, you know, it's really exciting. I think what is this dog's career going to be? I mean, and, you know, he was a wild puppy, okay? Oh, yeah? Oh, my gosh. And for anybody who's got that <laughs> wild dog, you think, is this dog going to turn out? Well, 
you might win me a hundred grand. I don't know if, <laughs> if you may have just heard Jellybean there for the first time. We've been talking with Melissa now for 11 minutes, and Jellybean has been sitting quietly the entire time. This is a dog that can do amazing things. We won't hold Jellybean too much longer here, but just a couple of other things. When you are training dogs, you have that old line, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Is that true at all? No, that's not true. Unless the dog has canine cognitive dysfunction, which happens about, you know, in elderly years, 11, 12. But I've had dogs that are into their senior years even come to class. So, you know, you can still teach an old dog new tricks and they absolutely enjoy it. It gives them purpose. And once a dog learns a trick, do you have to keep refreshing it every once in a while to keep the dog able to do it? Or is it just steel trap? Yeah, I remember that. Let's do this. You're best to refresh it. It depends on the style of the trick. Jellybean is very, very physical, so he has to keep up that muscle strength. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, beautiful dog. Please go to Facebook. We'll send out the link as well. We'll post the video that Jellybean has done on our Instagram, on our Facebook page, and you can see just how talented this dog is, just how amazing this dog is, and why a London-bred dog needs to be known as the world's most amazing dog in this Facebook competition dealing with dogs all around the world. Jellybean's not up against any dogs from Australia. He is... Is Uh, no. No, okay. (laughs) Just wondering. Just because of the breed, I thought, I wonder. I wonder if there's a connection there. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. Congratulations on the work that you continue to do. Please keep it up. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Melissa Millett and Jellybean with us. We're going to let Jellybean go back into our great hall and perform some more tricks. But we'll have that posted on our Instagram very, very soon. We are going to talk more about animals in just a little while as well. In about 20 minutes from now, we're going to look at an announcement that came today from the OSPCA, which stated that they are not going to be looking after monitoring animal cruelty anymore. That when their new contract is up, they're not interested in doing that for the provincial government. They've let the government know, and now this has become public. We're going to speak with their general counsel and find out kind of what's behind all of this. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Want to thank Melissa and Jellybean for coming in. I will tweet out the link to the Facebook contest and we'll post the video. It's pretty amazing to see, forget the fact that this dog is hearing impaired. I mean, that part is more on the trainer's side, I think, than anything. Jellybean does all of these tricks. You just have to see it. I can't describe them on the radio very well, but very talented dog. And I think what Melissa brought up at the beginning is one of those things that we don't take into account enough. Jellybean is hearing impaired. It's pretty easy to tell that when you open a bag and all the puppies come running and one of them doesn't. When you come in the door and all the puppies come running and one of them doesn't, it's pretty easy to tell, wait a minute, this dog may have a hearing issue. And that was the case and wound up going to an organization that takes care of deaf dogs, dogs who are hearing impaired as well. And that's where Melissa adopted the dog from. And Jelly Bean is now turning into a TV and movie and commercial star. Melissa does a lot of work that way again. She trained the cats that are in the new Pet Cemetery movie, proving that you can train a cat. Training a dog, as she said, takes maybe a year for some of these tricks. 
Uh, training a cat? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. And yet, it is possible. But you don't necessarily realize maybe how often a deaf dog would be looked at and, and perhaps euthanized because the dog is deaf. And you think, well, we can't have that. You know, you startle a deaf dog. Maybe the dog bites. There are concerns. So you take a look at what this dog can do. This is one of those stories that it's great to have out there. So we want to thank Melissa and Jellybean for coming in. And again, I will tweet that link momentarily, and I will post that video momentarily, and you'll be able to see exactly where uh, Jellybean is headed and the competition that Jellybean is up against. Could put London on the map. Yet again, the London Knights over the weekend captured yet another division crown. Here's something that I maybe need even some more help with, just just to kind of check my math. Because I've looked around the junior hockey world, not just in the OHL, but in the other leagues as well. And from what I can tell, there has never been a tougher division than the one that the London Knights the Kitchener Rangers, the Guelph Storm, the Owen Sound Attack, and the Erie Otters play in. In the last 11 years, every single one of those teams from one division in the OHL has won a championship. Some, like the London Knights in the last 11 years, have won three. And yet it's a division that year after year tends to produce a team that at least is in the running. This year, you could say the Knights and the Guelph Storm, both as solid as it gets for teams that could win an OHL championship. And the London Knights captured the division yesterday with a win in Erie. They hadn't won the Midwest Division title since 2013. Wait a minute. They won the Memorial Cup in 2016. That's how tough this division is. You win the Memorial Cup, and yet you had a team that finished ahead of you in your division. It's the way it works out sometimes in the Midwest. I can't find another division in junior hockey. I don't know if you can find a time when anywhere in sports, any set of teams in a division has been able to do what the teams in the Midwest have been doing recently. So the London Knights are on a three-game win streak right now. Over the weekend, gave up one goal against Hamilton, gave up one goal against Erie, there was a Zooey game on Friday. It had playoff-type atmosphere in Kitchener and a regular season score. The thing was crazy. 14 goals. It was 8-6. It was just a wild, wild night. All kinds of accusations. This side, that side. Fans not happy. Things being thrown. It was... It was like it was 1986 all over again, except we didn't have a whole bunch of fights, which was good. But it was a little Zooey. So... It was a weekend like that for the Knights, but they did capture their division, and now they get set to play their final two home games this Friday and this Saturday against Flint and Saginaw. The way the schedule worked out, the Knights had suffered a couple losses here and there, and they had a weekend like this one where you could look and say, hey, there are beatable teams this weekend. If you can win all three games, you'll get yourself going. And then there's a winnable game on Friday night against Flint, and then the switch flips. And they play four games to finish the year that will have them as playoff tested as they could ever be. Because they play against other teams like Guelph, Saginaw, and Sault Ste. Marie, who, like the Knights, could easily make it to the OHL Championship Series, could make it to the Memorial Cup. We'll find out. We are going to talk animals in just a moment because the OSPCA made an announcement today. 
And they told the province that they were no longer going to oversee animal cruelty in the province. So what does this mean? Where, where does that come from? We're going to try and find that out because we're going to talk with the general counsel of the OSPCA. And that's coming up in about 10 minutes from now. As well, we will continue perhaps our conversation looking into fun versus function as the city debates what to do with a couple of things. We haven't taken a a real close look at the plans for the river and the bridge and a couple of other things that a few emails were talking about and whether or not we really do need that. The city would be anting up $5 million for the beautification in and around the Forks of the Thames. And I still look at that spot and say, that's not a place that people go to naturally. So why would we, just because we put in nice things down there, because let's face it, $5 million sounds like a lot of money. You can spend that in a hurry when you're talking about sprucing things up, when you're talking about constructing a trail. That's gone. So if you don't have enough, If you don't have a real reason to go down there, now I know they've talked outdoor concerts and stuff, and that might do it, but you still have to have people performing. You know, you can go to Millennium Park in Chicago, the big seating area with the concerts, not a lot of concerts going on there. And then you you have the bean that you go to and you're attracted to that. If you don't have anything going on down there, is there a reason for people to go down there? Would they go down there? I don't know that they would. And then you look and you say, wow, we spent $5 million. Did we spend it in the right way? We'll talk more about that before the close of the show. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. The Jelly Bean video is up on Instagram. So if you go to Instagram and check out 980 CFPL, please give us a follow while you're there. You can see exactly what Jelly Bean can do. The link is there. Click on that if you want to cast a vote for London's own Jelly Bean to be the world's most amazing dog. And most amazing? Jellybean is completely deaf. Remember that. And most amazing. Can we also have a contest for world's most amazing dog trainer? Could anybody beat Melissa Millet? Check out the video and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. If you want to see a picture of Jellybean, I'll post one of those on Twitter as well because I did get an email. I also got a call from Al, and Al had said that Al had a a deaf dog, I believe, as part of a dog sled team. Amazing dog. So if you ever have a, a litter of dogs and one of them winds up being hearing impaired, take a look at the things that can happen. Jellybean may wind up being a very famous dog actor someday, and we talked about it with Melissa. Think about explosions and gunshots and all kinds of noisy things in movies. Jellybean, not phased by any of that. And they are able to do some pretty amazing, you know, whether it's whether it's tricks or... Uh, whether it's techniques that allow a dog, you'll you'll see in the picture, Jellybean is talking into the microphone here in our studios at Global News Radio. And that's not by accident. This is not me being able to take a lucky picture. This is the dog being able to pose for that picture. Wild. So thanks again to Melissa from Ultimuts. Up next, we are going to talk more about animals because the OSPCA made an announcement today. Not going to 
govern animal cruelty anymore. What What is happening here? Wait a minute. You're the OSPCA. We'll talk with their general counsel next on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. All right, we've had an interesting news day. We had the unfortunate passing of Hollywood actor Luke Perry. We had the passing of hockey player Ted Lindsay, who helped to form the NHL Players Association that we know today. We've also had an announcement from the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. The OSPCA has notified the Ontario government it is no longer going to investigate and enforce animal cruelty laws, which leaves you to think, well, okay, there's got to be something more to this. So let's right now try and find out what that more is. Joining us is the general counsel for the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the OSPCA, Brian Schiller. Brian, thanks so much for taking some time out for us. Uh, Thank you for having me. Brian, let's talk about where this decision comes from, because I think we're all left to wonder where it is coming from. Well, it's true that the Ontario SPCA has enforced uh, legislation for the past hundred years, but where you look at the origins of that, it is founded in uh, policing services being unwilling to undertake enforcement historically. And so it fell to the good people of each city to turn around and organize humane societies, push for laws, and then be the only ones that enforce them. For example, right now today in England, uh, enforcement is done privately through private prosecutions. So the trend, we believe, is away from private charities, private organizations undertaking the enforcement services, and we don't feel that a private charity is best suited to undertake that enforcement. Okay, so could you, in helping us to understand that, talk to us about what it has taken to enforce this. What have people in these branch organizations had to do? So um, there are... um, a number of affiliated organizations throughout the province of Ontario that are humane societies that uh, some of whom have uh, agents and inspectors who would report to the Ontario SPCA's um, uh, enforcement. So they may be employed by one of those organizations, but they are uh, answerable through the Ontario SPCA. And then there are a large number of them that are employed directly through the OSPCA. And their responsibilities have included um, answering uh, complaints related to all manner of abuse related to animals throughout the province. Now, this has, as you know, has gone on for 100 years, and... um, up until 2012, it was the public that entirely funded this investigation service, even though there was legislation in place and it was a government-regulated um, government uh, enforcement process. The taxpayers, or, or actually not taxpayers, donors were funding it. Then in 2012, the government started funding uh, some a fraction of that service, 
but it's never been enough. It's never been close to enough to adequately protect animals in this province. We're talking with Brian Schiller, General Counsel for the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the OSPCA. And we're talking about the fact that the OSPCA has notified the Ontario government it will not be investigating and enforcing animal cruelty laws. And that's something that, as Brian has been outlining, has a history to it. So in doing this, what exactly changes about the OSPCA, Brian? Very little. Uh, 80% of the work done by the Ontario SPCA uh, is non-enforcement work, ranging in a variety of areas from education to uh, rescue and relief to spay, neuter, sheltering. We have a large sheltering system throughout the entire province. Um, And we also announced today that we're going to be launching an enforcement support service so that those uh, agents and inspectors who were uh, undertaking enforcement will continue to do similar type work, but they just won't be um, obtaining warrants, executing warrants, laying charges. Instead, they'll support whoever it is that this enforcement falls to. But I want to make it clear that in it's this, there's a transitional period here. Our contract doesn't expire until the end of the month, and we have offered to the Ontario government that we'll continue those uh, enforcement um, Uh, services for a further three-month period following the end of the contract at the end of this month. Okay. Now, we're trying to picture things here. You're talking about enforcement of what would be the the laws that go against animal cruelty or the laws that govern govern animal cruelty. I can only picture some of the places that people would have to walk into. I mean, this is not, hey, a nice little family of four that is playing around with a puppy and something went wrong. Uh, We're talking about very different situations. So people who were, again, part of the branch organizations of the OSPCA were having to go into these people or having to go into these places and basically carry out the, I guess, the the enforcement of, of animal cruelty laws? Very much so. Um, I can even point to a very recent case where um, we had officers who were enforcing um, or, or, or dealing with uh, an investigation on a farm. And um, uh, during the course of executing a search warrant, one of our officers was assaulted by um, one of the people being investigated. And uh, you know, our officers are, are not equipped to deal with being assaulted like police officers are. They don't carry guns. And it was one of the serious factors that uh, played into the reason for ending these enforcement services. Um, it, it's become increasingly dangerous over the years. Yeah, no doubt. So in doing this, in notifying the provincial government, it will be up then to the provincial government to determine who will now take this over? That's correct. That is a, a function of government to determine what, if any, changes they will undertake with legislation and uh, who will enforce it. But but know that, as it stands right now, the Ontario SPCA can only, with its with a financing in place for dealing with enforcement, really only covers a third of the province. And uh, there there are many areas where uh, police undertake that function to some degree. Yeah, and but it adds one more thing to police officers as well. It, it's almost like we do need its own branch of something just to just to look after this. How common would it be to 
to go out and, and have to actually enforce animal cruelty laws. Is this something being done on a pretty regular basis? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, we deal with thousands of complaints a year and uh, dozens and dozens of charges are laid. And, um, you know, it's it's serious work. It's important work and it, it needs to be done right. And um, we don't think under the model that exists today, it is done in the best possible way to protect animals. And that is why we're advocating for um, a new model, a model similar to what goes on in uh, New York State, for example, where the American SPCA uh, does not enforce, although it used to, and instead offers enforcement support services to the New York uh, policing authorities. In New York City, there are police officers who are designated to deal with animal cruelty, and they work side by side with the ASPCA and uh, that project has been working very successfully. Do we have anything resembling that in Ontario? We do not. That We advocate for some model that would, um, depending on who, who's enforcing, we, we believe that, the, that we're best suited to um, offer support to that enforcement with our expertise and with our resourcing and with our uh, sheltering um, uh, system that's in place throughout the province. All right. Well, Brian, we really appreciate you taking some time out for us today to explain this because you've painted the picture before. We just had the little headlines. You've given us the real reason why this is happening, and we thank you for that. It's been my Take care. Oh, Take we may care. have lost Brian. Brian, have a great day. Oh, you too. Bye-bye. As Brian Schiller, General Counsel for the Ontario Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Okay, so that, that paints the picture because immediately when you hear this story, what do you think? Well, isn't that their job? Isn't that what they're supposed to be doing? Aren't they supposed to be looking out for the protection of animals? They're the OSPCA. Look at their name. Ontario Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So if somebody's being cruel to an animal, go make it stop. That is their job, right? Well, maybe it is, but I think we've got to take this with a little dose of reality. That again, if you see someone being mean to a dog, it's not like you walk up to them and say, hey, don't be mean to that dog, and they will stop. Now, if we're looking at the things that would really fall under the major umbrellas here, we're looking at things that are a whole lot nastier than that. I mean, you look at at major cruelty to animal complaints, you're not dealing with the best of the best individuals every single time, are you? You're dealing with somebody who has it in them to hurt an animal. So right there, that paints a picture of them. And then all of a sudden, you have to go and say, now, now, you need to stop doing this. Stop being a bad person be better, okay? I'm going to leave now, and you're going to be really good from now. That doesn't doesn't jive, does it? That kind of paints the picture right there. So if that is the case, then you do have to look at something. And I'm not pointing the finger here at anybody. I don't think anybody is at fault here. I think this is the OSPCA raising the issue, saying it's not safe for us to be doing this anymore. They had a worker who was assaulted by somebody who they went to either speak with or they went to, you know, deal with. 
So if that's happening, yeah, that's that's when all of a sudden this becomes problematic. So you can't point a finger at police and say, well, they should have been doing this. Well, you know, is the directive there for them to do it? As Brian pointed out, in New York State, they actually have a division that deals with this. That's what you would need. Well, then all of a sudden you need more officers to deal with that. They get thousands of complaints. There are charges laid each and every year. How big an issue is it? How does that compare to other issues? I'm not sure. But the fact that they are now notifying the province, hey, we're out. We're not going to go deal with that guy over there and his willingness to beat up his dog. We're not doing that. That's a bad guy. And that guy, who knows what he's going to do. If he's willing to beat up the dog, what's he willing to do to the person who's coming saying, hey, if you don't stop that, we're going to take away your dog. Who knows? So... This is just them notifying the government, saying, we're out. You figure it out. And now they've given a period of time. So at the end of this month, that's when kind of the, the you're on notice begins. And then it will be three months after that. So April, May, end of June, end of June, the Ontario government needs to have something in place. And you know what may have to happen here? The Ontario government might need to be pressured a little bit in order to make something like this happen. Because all of a sudden, this has been dropped in their lap. Hey, it's not safe for us to do it. You figure it out. So I don't think we can point fingers here. You've got a situation. Now it needs to be solved. That's now where the hard part comes in. Because how is this going to be solved? I don't think there is a good solution. At least not an easy one. Let's take a break. We'll come back with one more story next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. One more story may turn into three you have seen the story that one in four Canadians claims that the SNC-Lavalin scandal is going to help them to determine who they vote for, could affect who they vote for, as we head toward the next federal election. That was a poll done by Nanos Research, one in four Canadians. Uh, also, another thing that you need to know is that the deputy commissioner who was concerned about the friend of Ontario Premier Doug Ford being hired to be Ontario's top police officer, has been fired. Brad Blair, out of a job. We'll have more details on those stories coming up. Uh, Also have one thing coming out of the U.S. There's a woman who is making news Because she moved from California to Arizona. In California, you had two recesses and a lunch hour at school. And her children were then switched to an Arizona school that, for whatever reason, had one recess and one lunch hour. And she said her kids were cranky after school. And she said it was because they didn't have enough time to get their old energy out. So she started to push for an additional recess at schools in Arizona, and it looks like it is going to take place. I don't know how much she had to actually do with it, but she pushed for it, and it is now happening. They have an extra recess coming. And the other, this crazy story, I can't believe this. Remember in the movie Dumb and Dumber where... You had the IOUs. It was a briefcase full of IOUs. They'd spent all the money. That's a Lamborghini. Might want to hang on to that one. Remember that? Well, 
If we go back to last month, so February 18th, Family Day, there was a, a supermarket in Kingston that was closed, but someone had left the door open. And people would show up. It was Family Day, but they had eggs to buy, things like that. Some people showed up, realized there were no workers inside and left. Other people actually took stuff and left IOUs. We've got to study this one a little bit more. we got to get deeper into that story. We'll try and do that as the week moves along. Up next, we have news with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick. Thanks to Jacqueline Carbone. Thanks to all of our guests, including Jellybean and Melissa Millett. London Live is brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialists. You are listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL.